We don't have to stay here. We could go wherever we want. No, we can't. This is our home. Are you sure? Oh, don't worry, darling. I have everything under control. Monica! Uh, you okay? It's Wanda. It's all... Wanda. From Providence, Rhode Island, welcome to the MCU Diaries. It's a podcast dedicated to every Marvel Studios series on Disney+. So sit back, relax, and let's break down Earth's mightiest heroes. Everybody, welcome back. My name is Blake Larson. I'm your host for today, and oh boy, I love when shows go for it, man. I love when the world gets bigger, and you know what I love even more? Little Jimi Hendrix. I really, really appreciate and love the musical choices that this show is going for. Some of it may seem a little obvious to you, and maybe some of it's a little cliche, but you know. Coming off of the Monkees last episode, going on to Jimi Hendrix this episode, there is a lot at play here. Yes, because the music is cool, but it has a very specific meaning and a very specific point to what we're getting at in the fourth episode of WandaVision. And that is what we're talking about today. Episode 104, we interrupt this program and things, ladies and gents, <laughs> finally, if uh, if you're some people, or regrettably, if you're some people, get really, really MCU-y uh, when it comes to WandaVision now. We have fully stepped into the world of the MCU, and we've used this time to catch us up on all the things that are happening in the outside world of WandaVision and Westview and the world that it seems to have been created from Wanda herself. But we're going to get into that in a little bit. And before we do, I wanted to remind you that you can go to maryandblake.com, check out all the great podcasts that we have there, whether it is about Outlander or Bridgerton or This Is Us or Harry Potter. There's a whole ton of stuff going on over there. And if you want to get in touch with me, you absolutely can. Just look up Mary and Blake on all the different social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. It's all there. And if you want to email me, just get in touch at maryandblakemedia at gmail.com, and we will discuss the MCU or any other kind of nerd thing that you want to talk about, because that's what I'm here for. I'm here to make sure that you let your nerd flag fly. And we're going to do that today with WandaVision, episode 104. We interrupt this program. So episode four was once again directed by Matt Chapman as he is doing every single episode of WandaVision this season. I don't know if there's going to be multiple seasons. I doubt it. I imagine that's probably just going to be a one-off. But hey, you never know. Who knows? It's written by Megan McDonnell, uh, who wrote the last episode. And another name here that is um, a relatively unknown name, uh, Bobek Esfiarni. Uh, 
this person has written uh, a few episodes of television, uh, one for uh, a show called Helix back in 2015. Obviously, uh, WandaVision here, it's the only story by, well, at least written by credit that they have, though they are serving as an executive story editor for WandaVision. And an executive story editor, for those of you who don't know, it is something like there's there's a whole... um, (laughs) Uh, ladder one must climb when they're in the writing world in Hollywood or whatever, and specifically for television shows, there's a ladder. You, you're a staff writer, or you're 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 a PA, and then you're a staff writer, and then you're a uh, you're, you're a story editor, and then you're an exo- executive story editor, and then you're a writer, and then you become a producer or or a co-producer, or or when you get to hit the big time, you get to be an executive producer. What I'm getting at is. A story editor is someone who is uh, has been writing for a little bit. They probably got about three or four years under their belt, uh, an executive story editor, that is. And they're right about to get onto a staff and become a credited writer. Because when you're an executive story editor, that's your credit. That's all you get. You may contribute to helping the writers. You may pitch ideas when ideas are asked for. Uh, you're there making sure that the changes are made, that the that the story is is um, flowing properly. You make the necessary changes to the script. You're just you're like right about to jump to the next level. That is a an executive story editor. So that is who has written. Oh, also he, uh, they have also written on a show called manifest, which is on NBC. And it looks like, uh, we got some written buys here for a number of episodes and, and even again, an executive story editor credit. So that is that those who are the people who wrote and directed this episode. And this episode reminds us that there is a big, big, vast, huge world which certainly keeps spinning outside of Wanda's sitcom bubble and connecting the two, the the bubble and the outside world, especially the MCU of it, connecting these two is very hard. And this episode is a perfect example of that. It's not that it's boring. It's simply you have to hit a number of check marks to make sure that you are sticking to the MCU of it all, but also maintain a very specific connection to your main characters and not selling them out. And this, ladies and gents, is the second act of our nine-episode arc of WandaVision. This is when the world is supposed to get bigger, and we start introducing a larger conflict. We have moved past introducing our characters, moved past introducing the world, moved past introducing all of this uh, the, the, the adjacent characters. This is when the world opens up, and we start to see the big connective tissue to all the issues that are happening with WandaVision. And it's difficult to know people's thoughts about this season, and in this episode in particular, because I try my very best to stay out of the echo chamber <laughs> of the TV reviews and recaps in all of it. I stay away. So I don't read them. I have my own views and I stay off of the interwebs when it comes to my thoughts on this episode or in WandaVision and TV in general. But given my reaction to it, I suspect there are probably two camps of thought about this episode of television. The first is this. 
there are MCU purists who see the first three episodes of WandaVision as a waste of time, or not necessarily a waste of time, but just, okay, what are we doing? Because they're just not the MCU. (laughs) They're too episodic. They are uh, independent of pretty much everything that is happening. As we've discussed, the world that the first three episodes inhabit is fake. And not fake in a story sense, but uh, or you know it's Hollywood, but it's fake even within the show we're watching. It's it's all a facade. So people I can imagine aren't really into this episode because it's not connected to the MCU on the whole. In other words, it's a cute, but ultimately failed experiment in something new. And as such, this episode, this current one, is very much for them because it connects us to the MCU. The second group is, uh, well, at least I think are the people who see the first three episodes uh, episodes as art. It's a deconstruction of trauma through the lens of one of the most powerful beings on Earth. As we talked about, that is Wanda. And it just happens, this person happens to have a connection to the MCU. As such, this episode may not be for those people. And I think there's probably a group of people that <laughs> Ask a question of like, Tony Stark says in Iron Man, is it too much to ask for both? My contention would be, why can't it be an artful episodic experiment in trauma that lacks the narrative cohesion to exist without its connective tissue to the MCU? Yes, I acknowledge how pretentious (laughs) that sentence may sound. Trust me, I get it. It is pretentious, but that doesn't make it any less true. While the reality of Wanda's sitcom bubble is an intriguing journey in shock and emotional suffering, we can only measure that level of trauma against the actual reality of the world surrounding Wanda. And having said that, when we understand what's happening in Westview, we have to have the context outside of Westview to appreciate everything that's happening within the story. Is it jarring to undergo such a drastic about-face in our storytelling, at least to the way that we have now been accustomed for the first three episodes? Yeah, absolutely, man. Never mind, you know, going from the sitcom of it aspect of it all to getting straight up MCU. I mean, we're, we're switching our visual language of coloring and aspect ratio and frame blocking to resemble the more modern feel of an MCU film. I mean, even our main character switches from Wanda to a, a fairly obscure player in who is definitely Monica Rambeau <laughs> now. That switch, albeit drastic, affords, I think, us an opportunity to catch up on the world since half the universe reappeared after the Avengers defeated Thanos in Avengers Endgame. And in what is truly the most effective sequence of the episode, we witness what it's like to suddenly rematerialize from what they're calling the blip. No, it's not some happy-go-lucky moment of harmony springing unicorns and, and, and rainbows from all walks of life. Rather, it is the, this occasion is marked by confusion and panic, and in Monica's case, anguish. 
the world didn't just say, yay, everyone's back. People came back where they left. Things, who knows? If people were driving, they were in cars. If they, people suddenly reappeared in this world with no understanding of what happened. And without any of that warning or any of that understanding of her condition, Monica discovers that her mother has died. And not only has she died, it happened years ago. In addition to that, there's also this great heartbreaking moment when a man reappears and his first instinct is to call his wife, who, for all he knows, by the way, could have since moved on to another partner in the five years since his disappearance. Who knows? Maybe she died like Monica's mother. Maybe she disappeared too. Who knows? It will break your brain thinking about all the possibilities. And this is an excellent introduction back into this world. Monica's reappearance when she is reinduced to this world, mirrored in the style from how our heroes, uh, you know, in quotes, dusted in Avengers Infinity War, and the brief panic we hear from the man who wants to call his wife is a perfect justification for why a show like WandaVision should exist. As we talked about last episode, Wanda's grief over her brother Pietro, like that, there just simply isn't enough time in the these big tentpole films to explore the plight of the common people in this world, let alone give us the texture we need to understand the severe trauma from which the world suffered. I mean, we got a little bit of it in uh, the Spider-Man Homecoming with uh, Michael Keaton in his life and how uh, his world suffered and eventually came back to conquer uh, with tons of money, and it's a whole thing. We get a little bit of it, but not like this. And instead of telling what the world was like to us in some bland expository dump from one Avenger or a sword agent to another, in this case, we are shown what happened in a meaningful and impactful way. And by the way, that doesn't mean there are no emotional stakes explored in the first three episodes. There are plenty of resonant consequences examined, as we talked about last episode specifically. But again, as it is for last episode, those consequences and those stakes are more specific to Wanda's perspective. In an environment she created specifically to temper the reality of all of those stakes, <laughs> right? When you're living in a sitcom world, as we noted, the, the problems only happen for little amounts of time, and even the problems that do happen are minute problems, and they are resolved by the end of the episode. There are no real stakes. It's just there, unless you see the undercurrent. A more discerning engagement is a prerequisite for the viewer to capture the intended narrative and messaging from WandaVision. In the meantime, we have a whole lot of exposition that is happening throughout WandaVision in this episode. An exposition services the natural structure and the narrative DNA for this episode as it catches us up on the larger storyline at play within the MCU. Monica returns to work a, a mere three weeks after being dusted by the blip. Well, or after coming back from the blip. 
Her status is questioned when she tries to give a key card. It's old and doesn't work. But then her boss, Tyler Hayward, shows up and reaffirms her position, only to realize that all of the hard work in setting up S.W.O.R.D. with her mom has been cast aside because of her disappearance. So, in the end, she's sent off to a low-end drone search mission to cooperate with the FBI in a missing persons case located in some remote town of New Jersey. And I'm going to quote some very sage words from what a very wise man, Polly from the Jersey shore. She's got to play this cool <laughs> in terms of characterization. These set of circumstance form formulates uh, an, an immediate connection to Monica for the viewer in that immediate Monica is the opposite of Wanda, our main character. Monica is someone who lacks control over her story, is selfless and cooperative. Yet, at the same time, Monica is very much a mirror of Wanda. Let's look at it from a different perspective. Monica, like Wanda, is undervalued. She is emotionally damaged after losing her mother in a quick span of a heartbeat. And now she searches for a purpose after all her focus and determination to better the world is forsaken. And much like Wanda, she takes matters into her own hands when she enters this bubble without much thought or care to her moral or professional obligations. The dichotomy generated between Monica and Wanda certainly sets a course for a big showdown at some juncture in the show. Whether they are foes or allies remains to be seen. But these two are going to be put into conflict, either with each other or against each other. And while showdowns are important to the value of what we're watching, so too is the humanity and relatability that Dr. Darcy and FBI agent Jimmy Woo provide the viewer. Ah, yes, yes, the, the MCU of it all. We are here, ladies and gents. Hey, look, it's that intern from Thor and Thor the Dark World who is apparently a doctor now. And oh, look, it's that agent from Ant-Man and the Wasp who couldn't make his card appear from thin air in that movie. But now he can because he's been working on it for the past five years. And that's a great little inside joke. I will. That is that is well placed. Regretfully, though, their introductions, I think, are a little clumsy. The signature MC humor just doesn't land as well as it probably should, and the show makes its first very big misstep in trying to bring up anyone who has not done the necessary homework of watching the MCU films since Avengers Age of Ultron. Because just as good as that opening scene was, the briefing scene to catch up all the agents about Wanda and her background and the origin of her powers, oh man... That was just as bad. <laughs> I mean, I understand it's it's necessary because not everyone is an MCU dork like me, or maybe even you for that matter. And having said that, the briefing scene, you know, as it's you know written, is probably the most elegant uh, in-world avenue to achieve the desired information, like dump. But wow, is it clunky, and it takes forever, and it is awkward. Despite all that, however, the value that Dasi and Wu bring 
to the story is the the natural every man or every woman or every person surrogate for the audience approach to the material that we're watching. They have no idea what's happening, and they're just trying to figure it out as they go, just like us as viewers. And through Dossie and Wu, we, they, we get reasonable explanations about CMBR, which is the byproduct of all the radiation emitting from Wanda's world and, oddly enough, <laughs> the Big Bang. Whiteboards are in these tents and they're splattered with Easter eggy words and connections to other pillars of the MCU like the the scrolls and, and and more. There's there's a whole bunch. You can you can Google it, it's all there. But most importantly, there is an explanation for why the first three episodes are being told in a, a form of a TV show. We were simply watching what the outside world was watching once Darcy figured out that she needed an old TV to translate an odd frequency originating from Wanda's bubble. We also actually discovered that the person watching that old TV in the first episode was, in fact, Darcy. Why there is a signal in the radiation emitting from this bubble, we still don't know. And there is no real explanation, but it's there and we're watching it. So, in a world that so far that is populated by superheroes and, and mystery and, and sitcom hijinks, and Darcy and Wu are our way in to understand the bigger picture. There's always, whenever you're writing anything, whether it is a blog article or it is a TV show, a movie, or a book, you have to have a way in. What is the root of the story? How do you achieve it? How are you able to translate that story? There is always a way in. And that way in gives you to the bigger picture. And that bigger picture, literally, in this episode, transitions back from the MCU style of 16 by 9 aspect ratio to the more traditional 4 by 3 ratio at the end of the episode, meaning widescreen to relatively square screen. screen. Instead of having black um, black bars on the top and the bottom with a full wide screen, we're now getting basically black bars, top, bottom, left, and right. This is very much by design. Yes, yes, absolutely, because it's flashy, but also because it signifies that we are transitioning back to Wander's perspective of the story, and we are thrust back into the sitcom conceit to the re-emergent sound of the audience laugh track. We've been caught up on the outside world so far. How our characters were placed here, what the stakes are, and what is potentially coming to destroy Wanda's world if her sitcom getaway threatens the world in any significant way. Now it's time to get the apropos of nothing. For WandaVision episode 104, we interrupt this program. First, CMBR is a really big deal, and it is a very real thing. If you Google it or you want to Wikipedia it, whatever, just type in CMBR. It is all right there. Essentially, just for you right now, the it's a measurement of how much the universe changed after the Big Bang. And this <laughs> is a very, very very basic summation of what CMBR is. 
But this is important because implicit in the CMBR revelation is how much Wanda's powers are affecting the reality around her. She is legitimately rearranging reality and creating her own mini version of the big fracking bang. (laughs) Yes, I did not talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it now. Vision is literally a walking dead corpse. He is revealed after Wanda uses her power to pile drive Monica through 30 freaking walls and in the boundary of a cosmic bubble. And before I continue, I just I have to ask, how is it that Monica survived this pummeling? I just don't know. But once again, though, implicit in the act uh, of seeing Vision the way that he is, uh, dead and lifeless with his head just torn out, essentially at the top of his forehead. Implicit in this act is Wanda losing her focus at maintaining her world. Because she lost focus, Vision appears as his real state of being, as opposed to Wanda's imagined version. Third, notice that Vision once again transitions to that imagined version once Wanda says she has everything under control and the laugh track appears. That's because Wanda is literally back in control of her story. Fifth, upon Wanda regaining control, the aspect ratio transitions back to the normal. The laugh track appears, and the happy couple sits at the couch once again, ready to intake their TV show, much like the previous episodes. The beekeeper from season two is, in fact, a sword agent, and that toy helicopter was the drone sent by Monica upon her arrival to Westview, but they transformed once they entered the bubble. Hmm, very interesting. And we learned, too, that was Jimmy Woo's voice on the radio all the way back in episode two. Monica is forbidden from going back into space because of her mother Maria's last wishes, and S.W.O.R.D. is mainly focusing on AI and nanotech now. Is this how the Fantastic Four will be introduced to the MCU, now that Disney and the MCU have access to those characters? Keep that in mind. Notice that Agnes is not mentioned as a real person when they are identifying the, quote, cast of Wanda's show. Is that because she is Jimmy's missing person who is in witness protection? Or is she not not a member of that community overall? Food for thought. The irony of Wanda saying that she is totally in control is not lost on me, and it should not be lost on you. It feels like the show is building toward the House of M storyline, certainly. And again, this is when Wano loses control over her ability and reality for the entire world is warped. Again, also food for thought. And lastly, the departing song, as we talked about, is Voodoo Child's Slight Return. This is a brilliant choice when you consider the lyrics of the song in the context of this episode creating islands, stealing time, chopping down mountains, and not taking no for an answer. So that is it, ladies and gentlemen. This episode 
brings us back to the MCU, and it is something that I I personally really quite enjoyed. It gives us far more context. It gives us a footing into what happened. This is essentially a, a rewind for Monica from when she came back until she was kicked out of the cosmic bubble. And we then finally continue to the sweet sounds of Jimi Hendrix and Wanda saying, this is our world. We cannot leave. Why can they not leave? Is it because Wanda simply doesn't want them to leave? Or is there more at play here? If they leave, will Vision revert back? Is she only in control of his appearance if he's in the bubble? Will she die if she leaves the bubble? These are all big questions we have to ask ourselves as we are watching this episode and we continue forward through WandaVision. I really, really enjoyed this episode. And this episode, I think, gives, uh, not permission, but it gives, I think, the people who love the MCU the ability to say, okay, I get it. I see what we're doing here. I, I understand now. And they can appreciate the storytelling of the first three episodes far more. So I think it's time to close out the show now. Thank you so much. Let's close it out. Oh, yes, ladies and gents. If you think I was going to close this episode out without playing Jimi Hendrix, you are you are vastly mistaken. <laughs> there is no... In no world would that be possible. No chance. So, thank you so much, everybody, for taking the time to listen to the MCU Diaries. As we're recording this, if you're listening in live time... The eighth episode, I'm sorry, yeah, the eighth episode has just premiered. I have not wa- watched it yet. I don't know. I heard it's big. I heard it's really good. And I'm going to get a chance to watch it, so I'm very excited about it. I hope to have everything done by the time that episode nine premieres on this coming Friday. That is includes all the blogs and all of the podcasts. So if you're listening in live time, bear with me. I'm going to get this all done, I promise. If you're listening uh, after all the fact and after everything is happening, uh, just thanks for... Uh, enjoying every episode with me enjoying and talking and having a good time and just nerding out to WandaVision and everything that's happening with WandaVision, Agnes and uh, Monica and all all of us being nerds together I'm I'm in on it so another place that I would love for you to engage with me and enjoy this community is go to jointhenerdclan.com where you get amazing access to all the bonus podcasts and premium episodes that we do here at Mary and Blake Media for all the different shows and things we cover. And the community that we have created there is really special. It is a bunch of nerds want to talk about whatever they want to talk about, and they are very, very, very proud of it. I'm very proud of it, too. It's a real cool sense of belonging and being where you want to be. So go to jointhenerdclan.com. And of course, too, also, if you want to read the written version of this essay, you can... Just go to maryandblake.com, look at the MCU Diaries blog. It is there, and you'll see the uh, this episode and 
all of the episodes right there, just maryandblake.com. And that's that for now, ladies and gents. Thank you so much again for taking the time. I really appreciate it. We'll see you next episode. Oh, <laughs>